CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for the show as hashtag leadership. Today's topic is promoting human value in IT culture. And our guests for today's show are Frank Wander, who's an author, and he's also a former CIO, of, uh, and he's also running the IT Excellence Institute. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Hi, Sanjo. Good morning. How are you today? I am doing just fantastic. It's a beautiful morning. We are looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and too. we also Yes, and uh, we also have uh, Joseph Snyder, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Standards and Poor's. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Very good. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Uh, is everything going well in business, life, and family? Yes. Life, you know, it, it's, um, business has been very busy, but uh, going very well. So it's, um, it's, it's, things are great. Great. And so the basis of our topic today was in looking at how there are a lot of companies that may neglect human values within their workforce and that there are benefits to promoting a better internal culture. Now, we don't want to assume that all companies are really greedy and toxic, but we also don't want to assume that all cultures are perfect. Considering this, we wanted to find out ways in which improving a culture has value. But we also wanted to somewhat challenge this notion and diagnose if there is really a problem or there really needs to be a change in the culture. With that said, Frank, the first question I have for you, that is, as leaders, we all want to claim that we are equitable and want to create the best workplace for our crew. What's the importance of a healthy and supportive IT culture? And are we saying that there are cultures that are neutral, toxic, and high-performing all at the same time, or they individually exist in organizations? Um, actually, uh, all three of those culture types uh, exist across corporate America, um, very much dependent on the leadership and the tone at the top. Uh, tone at the top is, in fact, what drives culture in companies. Some companies like Zappos embrace culture as absolutely fundamental to their sex success and uh, driving driving a culture where people are highly productive and, and networked into one another. Other companies don't see a value in it. And uh, having spent much of my career during turnaround transformations across companies, I came into contact with many cultures that were toxic. Some are neutral. Some are high-performing. It all depends on the management and how important culture is to them uh, as, as a driver of productivity and success. So, Joe, when you look at the world from the different experiences you've had at your current organizations and before, if you were to kind of qualify these, would you say that you see a dose of each of those and there is none of these organizations are in the ultimate extreme in one of these areas, which is uh, whether it's toxic or it's high performing or it's just like neutral? Well, I, I you know, I, it's interesting because I think of it partially cultural and partially from a leadership perspective because the culture, 
if it, things are very well ingrained in a culture, it's very hard to put that change in place. And what's kind of striking to me sometimes is how if you change leaders, how fast things can improve, right? So you say, well, how much of it is culture in that particular case? It could just be particular leadership that could really influence the outcome. So, so I, I've worked for companies, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't say, you know, I think of it as sometimes it's bad bosses, sometimes it's bad uh, culture. But for the most part, I find most companies are not so bad on the culture side. It's, it's individual leaders, but they, they have an amplified effect. And I, and I think they can have an amplified effect in either direction. Now, when you when you say this, does it mean that we are so people dependent versus process dependent that one person can come and really spoil, and then another person comes who can really take you to the next level? Isn't is it is this not making the organizations or at least seemingly very vulnerable? Well, I, I think the what you can do, good leadership can can create a culture that kind of would resist bad leadership in the future. But what I what I find interesting is when good leadership comes in, it, it can have this positive impact very quickly, right? So I, but I, I think as people get more and more, you know, st- a stronger sense of what good leadership is, then you start hiring differently. And I think good leaders hire good managers, and then they build this respectful culture. So there's a, there's a ripple effect, and then it becomes more sustaining. Uh, so I, I, I do think that there's an interplay here, um, but it's not you know, it, it, and I and I and I think about it a lot. As to, but I I do feel like sometimes you can come in and you can impact things very quickly. Why is that? You know, the culture wasn't so bad after all, right? It was it was the prior leadership. So, Frank, when you look at uh, this area, do you think you can get very obvious signs that this? particular culture is so toxic that we've got to make a change versus it's on its way. So we should wait and see if we can change the leader, their mindset, as well as the culture to bring it back. And how, do, how do you determine how bad something is? There are a number of ways to determine it, actually. If you um, look at the various methods companies use to determine the state or health of the environment, um, A, they use uh, climate surveys. You know, many companies have an annual or uh, biannual climate survey that provides some data. I would say this. If trust levels are low in a company, especially organizational trust, the survey isn't really going to reflect the true state of the company. People are going to more or less report what the company wants to hear. And you see that happening across companies. Um, other methods that you can use is open up two-way communication. Companies are rolling out solutions like Tibber and Yammer. Uh, that enable them to really engage in a dialogue uh, with the organization. Um, I always, uh, you know, relied on not just the surveys. Uh, I relied much more on the ability to wander around and get information. If people in the organization trust you, you can very quickly find out what the state of the organization is. Um, if you're sensitive to people's emotions, you can see in their face whether or not they're happy or sad. You can see if people are engaging in protective behaviors in meetings. You could see if these pro-social behaviors like sharing, caring about one another, right, um, all of the things that really build a very healthy workplace are occurring around you. And uh, when you don't see those things, you've got to work to create a culture where people begin to work together, collaborate deeply. You've got to remove those uh, socially corrosive behaviors from the organization so that the bonds can really form that bring the people together, and that is, in fact, the communication system that's used to share all the information. 
Now, uh, Joe, if you were to go out and poll in or talk to a number of people and ask for Frank, we could look at, see how emotionally they are attached to the organization, how well they are collaborating. But if you are doing it in that very juncture or that very uh, time period, they are having, or a number of them are having some issues at a personal level, which is reflecting what they are thinking or are doing at the workplace, would that not send you in the wrong direction? You're saying, um, and you're talking about individual behaviors in this case, and somebody could be having um, a challenge in their personal life? Yeah, everybody has challenges, or maybe they they have a rather, um, you know, rough personality, et cetera, et cetera, but that could be misconstrued as something is wrong with the culture. I mean, I'm saying, could you get false positives when you try to do diagnosis here? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of as a follow-up even to what Frank was talking about, it, it's... Um, it is really connecting more to the human level and kind of delving deeper into the personalities and understanding people's motivations and emotional states, which you're touching on here. I, I think you, you have to take that, that time and you have to create a culture of managers around you who are taking that kind of time and rippling that throughout the rest of your organization. I think that's the uh, key to, the, to this is really keeping that human uh, connection, which is, is, is you, know, is, you know, we were talking about process before. You can't define processes around that. You have to, that's where you really have to start changing behaviors. Frank, when you look at an organization coming in, you are able to notice difference, but when you're living with a set of relatives who may be not as friendly or, or um, you know, you've been living it with them for so long, you start just accepting them for what they are and the life continues. So do you think somebody from outside should keep coming and prodding the leadership or, or, or the management to say there is something going on and that's why you should uh, go ahead and make a change. Otherwise, people will keep continue. They, they'll continue to do the things that they're doing and that could be spiraling down or it will stay neutral or it will become toxic. Well, um, <clears throat> I would say this. Unhealthy cultures lead to ultimately poor results. You know, you want to build a healthy culture because ultimately it's all about our competing and winning. And at the end of the day, if you have a company where the people are disengaged, where they're not collaborating, um, ultimately it's going to reflect in the results. And that will lead to a change of management. And that is, in fact, what happens. If you have a culture that's healthy, that's high-performing, um, generally uh, the results are good. The company remains more stable. It's in a growth pattern. Uh, so it's really fundamentally very important. The problem does take care of itself, but at the end of the day, if it's not corrected, the company is going to just compete in a race to the bottom. Yeah, and I think that that's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting point because it's actually how you kind of find where the problems are because you look for the lower error of productivity within your own teams, and that's probably where you have the problems, you know, and that's one way to identify it, too. So, Joe, do you think uh, as a percentage of your time as a leader, you would want to, of course, be working with your uh, people and see how you can make them the most productive, but you also have a job to do? How much can you break away from the task in hand and the conference calls and the endless days and actually focus on something like this? Well, I, I mean, first of all, you know, it, it's kind of how you, you know, how you create clear accountabilities and how you change yourself over time. So I, I'm constantly trying to push accountabilities down to my individual managers, which I, I actually think is very motivating. And then, and then also thinking in terms of uh, when I'm working with them, too, about unnecessary stress and unnecessary stress in the workplace. Unnecessary stress is obviously, you know, when somebody's yelling at somebody else or showing, you know, anger or something like that. But 
necessary stress is the amount of work. So I, I'm, you know, and, and this we all do this in, imperfectly, but, you know, the more we can delegate, the more we can do the right things in regard to uh, spending time with people, you know, coaching them and mentoring, and, and also doing the other things we should be working on is, you know, strategy and those kinds of things. But it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's not a challenge, right? So it's, it's how you prioritize your time to make sure that you are doing that and you push that down and you try to do that, you know, at many levels within your organization. Um, but it's not, it's not a perfect, you know, science there, that's for sure. So with that said, Frank, are there any subtle differences that you could point out between managers and or leaders at the top of a department where there are cultures which are very supporting versus very toxic so people can recognize the difference? You know, it's pretty, <clears throat> I think it's relatively simple. If uh, somebody believes that culture is very important and they believe that having a trust-based environment where there's a high degree of collaboration, where people count, uh, they talk about it. Uh, I would always get up in all my town hall meetings and describe exactly the type of culture we were going to create. We would have one where people were sharing openly with one another, where people were going to accept each other for who they were, where people were going to be allowed to speak up. We wanted to hear everybody's idea, even that introvert who uh, may have the best idea in the place, uh, but be unwilling to speak up unless prodded or in an environment where he feels comfortable actually speaking up. So if you care about it, it becomes a priority. And like Joe said, if you really do trust the people by delegating important work to them, you create an environment where actually they can excel or flourish, good things begin to happen, and they happen quickly. You know, bad environments, uh, you can correct them relatively quickly because people want to be in an environment where uh, they're helping one another, where people are cared about, it's a basically the natural human state. You know, we evolved as social animals, and the fact of the matter is we ended up becoming, you know, the dominant, uh, the dominant species on the planet, not by being the most powerful, the toughest, the fiercest, but in fact by working together. And if anything had to do with our evolutionary success, it was the fact that we're wired together with mirror neurons and other things that allow us to actually feel the emotions in others and build and sustain relationships. And I think it's critical. And it will revert back to that state if you begin to remove those toxic forces that are keeping it from going uh, or, or behaving in that way. Yeah, and I would like to add something because I think it's a simple uh, trick that I, not a trick, um, technique. Uh, when, I, when I'm talking to managers and it, they're um, talking about taking a certain course of action, sometimes I ask them, I said, would that be the course of action you would take if you want to develop a trusting relationship with this person? And they go, oh, Joe, you got me on that one, because they then rethink, and they say, well, if I want to develop a trusting relationship with this person, I would do this. And then that's usually the right answer. You know, and, and, and I, I think we, as managers, we have to start asking questions coming from points of trust and respect, you know, and, and, and that drives so much behavior, and it, it has a ripple effect. Let's take a quick break, listeners, when we come back. Let's look at the possibility of us connecting some ROI in this ROI-centric world when we are trying to, of course, work on the culture. Can we truly measure it? And if you can measure it, then we can work to improve it also. So as a, as a form of measure, can we say that if we are promoting the values and, and creating a good, happier culture, is it going to give us a direct impact in terms of how we outperform the competition and how we grow as an organization? Or is it a matter of just the softer side of an organization, which is just happier and more productive workers? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. 
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Joe, let's uh, let's see if you can help explore this particular area where the ROI, which we want to see in everything that we do otherwise in a business. But when it comes to the human side, are we truly doing it in a way where we can say, okay, we are going to make some differences or we're going to bring, bring about some changes? How is that impacting us? Is it going to always remain that soft side, okay, we've got a parties going on and people are happy and they're productive, or we can connect to a dollar value? Or should we create it connected to dollar value? Well, you know, I would, I would love if there was a direct connection. As every time somebody does something well, then we see the ROI start going up or productivity immediately going up. Um, but I, I think what we've been seeing, and, and this is very reinforcing kind of behavior, is um, we, you do see, obviously, projects go very well if the team is interacting well. And if you, if you see the team not interacting in a very good way, in all likelihood you're going to be having a problem on, it, on those particular efforts. So there is that, obviously, connection. And one of the things that I, I've been thinking about, too, is with the new software methodologies that we're doing with Agile, um, it creates much more of a team-based collaboration approach where teams are meeting on a frequent basis. And very often the accountabilities, um, they hold each other accountable for the, the productivity. And that's where we, we start to see you know, ROI improvements because you start seeing productivity going up and you, and you also see alignment going up because they're all getting together on a frequent basis and, uh, and obviously collaborating in a way, in a trusting and open way and communicating you do see that we develop things that people need and, uh, and, and, uh, and function better and, as a result, have a higher return on investment. So, Frank, would you say that if, based on your research and study that you may have done across multiple companies, do you see a pattern where they can say we were able to not maybe put an exact dollar value, but maybe a percentage increase in X, which X could be, um, you know, some some more revenue or uh, more profitability or outperforming competition by this percentage, and we won the race, etc. Well, you know, there are a lot of studies. They have uh, best companies to work for, not totally based on culture, but you could see that, in fact, those companies have much greater return on investment for shareholders in general. Um, you know, when you get down to it, I agree with what Joe said, creating and doing anything you can to increase the degree level of collaboration is really what you want to do. So, um, you know, your development methodology matters. Your organizational design matters. Building a an organizational design where um, IT isn't separated from the business, but, you know, it's federated. You're all joined together on a common page. Making sure that roles and responsibilities are clear across the organization so that people aren't having turf wars, fighting over who owns 
you know, um, uh, what aspects uh, of development or technology architecture and other things. You've got to make a clear statement about your culture. What are the what are the cultural values that you want? Is it going to be trust? Is it going to be collaboration? Are we going to share with one another? Uh, you should define very specifically what it is that you expect from the people in the organization. And um, I've also actually defined behavioral models. Um, what behaviors are productive and what behaviors are unproductive? There's actual research dating back to the 1950s that show the cognitive impacts of stress uh, in the environment, um, stress caused by negative and antisocial behaviors, and that causes a loss of focus, flight of ideas, you know, impaired judgment, things that really, really do impact the ability of people who have to think for a living in IT to get the job done. So you want to eliminate blame, hidden agendas, you know, deceit, competitive behaviors, threats, public embarrassment. You know, I could go down a list. They're documented. The fact of the matter is those are unproductive, right? They hurt the organization. Uh, I'm not suggesting it's a loving by any means, right? We're not shooting for that. We're shooting for the most productive organization possible. And, um, you know, these are the types of things managers need to focus on. So, uh, Joe, would you say that just having a good leader and someone who is establishing or promoting trust in the organization is going to cut it? Or there are other things which make an individual and as a group or as an organization start collaborating, and this comes from themselves, from, from their own side. It's voluntary versus someone says, we got to get a better culture going. Well, I, I think you get into whether, you know, I think as an individual, whether you're in management or not, you can create, you can expand trust, right? So, you, and it gets into your level of influence. So if you're at higher levels of the organization, I think you can have more of an impact on building a trusting environment, promoting, you know, positive behaviors around it, and then also creating an example across the, or, the organization. So obviously you can, it's easier to have a larger impact if you're at a more senior level, but I think you can have that impact no matter where you are. Um, but, it, it, you know, obviously it's, it's easier at higher levels. So you, you could, because you can use people as examples. This team is very productive. Look at the behaviors that they're doing. You know, it gets into that. The other thing I, I think about is at the management team level is, is you can – Get trust among your managers. You manage things in a way that they trust each other, you know. And that's another way to kind of expand outward on, on that. But you know, it, it sounds like in a way it's a simple idea. It's like trust and respect, but it is it is it, it you know it's a, a very powerful simple idea that you can really uh, leverage across, and uh, it's, it's contagious. Would you say, Frank, that we should be working on this problem of establishing a good culture one person at a time, or it should be a broad-stroking value? So if you have established a culture of trust, and when we say that you have done everything as a leader, and then your even mid-management has done it, but if there are some people who have the fundamental DNA of being skeptic or trying to go in a different direction than the rest of them, do you think your uh, actual final impact that you were hoping to get would really be realized? And if not, what would you do to help those selective few who are, even after you giving them the required environment, are not able to change? It's not that they want to change. Maybe they're not able to change. So you simply broad stroking sitting at 30,000 feet view is not going to cut it. Well, there are a number of things you could do, and clearly there are always people in organizations that really just don't want to go with the flow of where it's going. Um, and, you know, these people tend to be socially corrosive. They have a highly destructive uh, potential, you know, personality type. Um, 
There are a number of things to do. Number one, you've got to bring it to their attention. Now, if you've established a behavioral model, it's much easier for the people in the organization to point out behavior that's really not productive, right, because you've defined what that is. In an organization where there's no definition of that, then you're really going to have to intervene. I would recommend uh, you try to coach the individual as best as possible as to why what they're doing is unproductive. Um, ultimately, you could move them into an individual contributor position that may be counterproductive. Lastly, you're going to want to manage them out of the organization. And part of really creating a high-performing organization is constantly filtering through the talent in the organization, the behaviors, until ultimately you get people with high aptitude, people with high amounts of institutional knowledge, um, a very highly collaborative, trust-based organization where everybody's working together. Um, so, yes, you, you know, obviously, you know, you want to be seen as, you know, caring about the people, doing your best to help them, but ultimately you may have to manage them out, and that is part of the job. Yeah, and I, and I, and I would just like to add to this a little bit. Um, one thing that I've seen is, you know, I've, and I've come in in some cases where people were working in silos, and then I've restructured things that actually forced them to work in a collaborative way because the way I've shifted the responsibilities around. Um, and, and the people who are non-collaborative were very stressed based on, on that because they're saying, oh, we have to work with all these other teams to get things done. And in, some, in many cases, those people self-selected, if they couldn't understand the new way of, of operating, they couldn't you know, join in the collaboration, they left. They wanted to go to a place where they could continue to work by themselves and not work with other people and not work in a trusting way. So I find that it's kind of an interesting thing when you start to create this environment. Some people will decide themselves that they don't fit in. Now, with that said, are there any HR policies or other norms that may have been established in a very mature organization, which otherwise in the public eye is very successful? So, Joe, do you think you would, if you were to look under the hood, there might be some toxicity in or a mix of some pockets of higher productivity exist or coexist, and then the policies that are in place or the, the, the management style that exists because the organization is mature and perhaps large, you're not able to boil the ocean. What do you do in that case to bring about a pervasive change, or you, you should even try bringing about a pervasive change in such an organization? Well, well you're saying if you're in a large organization and beyond yourself, Creating, yes. creating that um, the trust. I, I think, um, first of all, I, I think in every organization there, there are always people that you can find that you could build trusting relationships with. So you, you always, you know, you, you work at it from that perspective. You definitely influence your, your immediate teams, and you try to have the biggest impact you can have on that. I, I don't know what you can do beyond that. You know, it, it's, it's, you know every, all of us have our limitations as to, where, where, you know, the level of influence we can have on that, but I, I, I find that, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's tiring. You try, you know, multiple times to, you know, to be, you know, exhibit trusting behaviors and some people are not exhibiting it back, but you, you've got, I think you've got to be very persistent in it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's the best hope for any organization. And in good organizations, obviously, there's much more of the, of the trusting, you know, the trust building that occurs across the larger organization, but, you know, some organizations are probably much more challenged in that space. And I guess if it's too, too, you know, if it's too challenging, you know, some people just can decide to leave and say, I can't be in this, in this, you know, culture. Frank, if you were to have a closed-door conversation with executive management of a mature organization where it is seemingly the, the toxic culture exists or maybe there are high productive, productive areas also exist, but when you have the chief HR officer and other people in the senior management, 
How would you go about breaking the news and make a case that something should be done? Because they say, I have a successful company running. I am leader in the marketplace, and things are working well, and we have been doing it for the last 60 years. Well, number one, you can you can collect data on the state of the culture, right? There are a number of survey instruments that can be used to identify um, exactly kind of whether you have a, a healthy climate or an unhealthy climate. The fact of the matter is they may not see it, but you have to explain to them that IT success and failure is very much driven by the degree of collaboration of the people in the organization and the degree of competency. So um, if you take a look at it, what do we do in IT? Somebody says, I'd like to go build this. We need this new solution for the business. That's a concept. And then a group of people, sometimes small, sometimes, you know, uh, numbering in the hundreds, have to get together across all these organizational boundaries to collaborate at a very deep level to turn that concept into reality. If you have a culture where people don't have those tight bonds and connections, where people don't exhibit helping behaviors, where people aren't sharing with one another, um, then, in fact, <clears throat> the system, you're not going to get a return on your investment. And this is really all about return on investment. You've got to get it down to economics and fundamentally how the business works. If that same organization, right, was a manufacturing company and the factory was broken and the machines weren't connected together and the machines are running poorly, which we call disengagement when it's a human being, then frankly, they'd be all over it. And it's really no different. This is about creating a high-performing workforce and an IT that means a trust-based culture, high competency, high aptitude, working in deep and meaningful ways. And other than that, you know, you've got to have the processes. I'm not suggesting they're not critical. They're foundational. But you've got to have people working together or you don't get a return. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back and look at situations where the people at the top may be polluting the environment or people in critical positions who may be otherwise seen as mission critical for the organization. And we need to do something to correct their behavior and or manage out. Who's going to blow the whistle? How are you going to bring about change for the best interest for the organization? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll free at 1 866 472 5790. That number again is 1 866 472 5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Joe, when you're looking at an organization and someone in in a not exactly the senior most position perhaps, but in critical areas, but they could also be doing phenomenally well, they could be prima donnas, at the same time they're also creating toxicity which would be not as good for the short end or long-term health of the organization. 
and I'm sure such instances exist and happen in all occur in all different organizations at any given time. What is the best way to blow the whistle and or create a culture where those people are in? We we, we insulate the rest of the organization against as, almost as if you got uh, you know some sort of an antibiotic available to corner them and then get rid of them or or remove their toxicity. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think about it more from, you know, first of all, I, I, I try to address it, you know, with one-on-one with individuals in regard to if there is an issue I want to talk to them about, you know, what we need to do to, create, to develop a better, you know, relationship or more trusting relationship. And that could be the behaviors we need to do, the forms we need to have broader discussions. Uh, sometimes I, I find that if one person is hijacking something, you can also deal with it from a, you know, create a broader level of governance and, and kind of like a more, you know, a larger team approach in regard to um, uh, having discussions about the decisions the company's trying to make. And then if somebody is exhibiting that kind of behavior, they it, it's broadly recognized in those larger forums. It's hard if you allow somebody to be an individual player and then, you know, cause lots of problems in the organization. Um, but I, I find, um, you know, it, you know, usually dealing with it that way, uh, other than that, if I, you see it within your own organization, then you kind of deal with things more directly, right? Either through, you know, coaching or mentoring, or you know, eventually, if somebody's really not, you know, supporting the organization, then you deal with it, you know, in, in a more direct way. So, Frank, how do you think you can enable the management in the sense? So, so we have a leader, and they have got their mid, middle management and lieutenants. You cannot expect this top leader to drop everything every time some toxicity or sign of toxicity is seen or some problems are seen, they start doing it themselves. They have to enable their lieutenants and make it such a way so that the team handles it. Like we are delegating the tasks, how about delegating handling these situations so that it really never comes to the level at the top and this leader has created the right environment. And and as the leader even changes, the, the lieutenants are not changing, so they have already bought into this uh, new way of working or, or a right way of working, and then we are not as vulnerable because of leadership change. Well, no question about it, right? You have to uh, you have to talk about the culture. You have to describe what it means, and <clears throat> ultimately, you want to delegate control of that culture down through the organization as much as possible. What that means is you want to have certain guidelines for productive behavior, not policies, right? You don't really regulate this through policy, but you have guidelines. And I thought your comment before about, uh, you know, the toxicity in the organization and almost like an infection. You know, frankly, if you have a healthy culture and people understand what, what productive behavior is all about and they've embraced it as an organization, you know, there is a corporate immune system. When people don't behave in that way, it begins to work against them. Um, and ultimately, they become dissatisfied and leave. They change whatever the case may be. So uh, these things do take on a life of their own. It's a culture, right? And people really want to, you know, protect good, healthy cultures, fight for them. They see the value. People want to be in winning organizations. And, um, you know, they want to have strong, healthy relationships. Not everybody, uh, certainly. Uh, but in general, that is the case. So uh, you can have a culture survive uh, a leader to a degree. If a new leader comes in as toxic, tone at the top is the most powerful thing it is going to degrade what's there. Joe, do you think at any point have you felt that you are labeled, if at all that has happened to you, as a very nice person 
and thus at times that could be taken uh, or you could be taken for granted and what all you say in terms of getting things done. You mentioned about accountability, but those things are taken with a grain of salt because otherwise you're a great person to work with and things stop getting done the way you would like to see getting done. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, you know, one, one is, um, I, I, I would like to think I'm a nice person. Uh, but it, <laughs> you are. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you, you want to balance that with, with the things that you think, are, you know, you really need, um, to, to hold the line on, right? So, so I, I do think, I, I, you know, I'm very for, forceful in areas where I need to be. And people know that about me, you know, so they, you know, so you, you could be, I think you can drive things in a positive way, but be very clear about what you're not going to accept. So that's, you know, and, and, and that's, in my mind, the respectful part of it, because you say, no, you're not going to do it this way. And, and you could still be nice from that perspective, but, you know, not necessarily, um, and, and it doesn't mean lack of tension in the system also, right? So I feel like there's a lot of tension in the system. I'm delegating a lot of work to a lot of people, right? That tension is still there. That doesn't stop. But I'm not creating stress, you know, as, as Frank was saying, you know, we don't need to create more stress than needs to be in the workplace. So I'm not creating unnecessary stress, which is, I think is key. So when you say that, uh, you know, you do not create unnecessary stress, which is a good thing. At the same time, if you are trying to make sure that people are all, all doing certain things, and we, you and us, we, most listeners would re- agree that there are times when just hoping that things will get done because, uh, you know, people want to do it may not be happening or that would not make it realistic. So there are some hard deadlines where people might have to go out of their comfort zone and that happy, happy-go-lucky attitude and really focus and, and make some sacrifices in certain cases, which could also have an impact on that, uh, you know, the happy culture for a little bit. But is that something that's going to happen because we created that culture or because you will get tough on them a little bit once in well, a while? Well, this is where I get into the, the necessary tension versus the unnecessary tension. If, if somebody is not being successful in what they're doing or what they need to do for the organization, whether it's the amount of work they need to do, the projects they need to deliver, I'm very clear on that with them, and they know that they're not being successful at that, at that point in, in time, right? And, and to me, that is separated from, you know, you know trying to not, you know, be respectful and trusting and all these other things. So I, I think that that tension is still there. I, 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 you know, feel like I've got a lot of work to do. I feel motivated every day. I'm trying to, you know, push it in the most positive way that I can, and I'm trying to push out positive energy to all of my managers, and I want them to do the same. I think that's the most effective way for us to operate. But the tension is there to do a lot of stuff and achieve a lot. But I'm not, you know, so. But it's. Um, I think we're trying to do it in a positive way. On from not, not negative incentives. Now, Frank, if someone who's listening today to this particular conversation, and if they are an existing IT leader, and they see with a with a closer, take a closer look at their own culture, and they see some toxicity, that means they themselves might be part of creating it. So how do they go about fixing it? And now let's take another situation when someone was tasked with coming on board as a leader. And when they come in, they see, get, see some signs of toxicity, but they are too new for them to exert any influence on the rest of the people. How would they approach this problem? 
All right, well, let's start with the first case, which is uh, an existing manager who really hasn't seen culture as a, as a productivity tool. Um, and by the way, much of this is due to the fact that workers were dehumanized during the industrial era. That's, it's a long story, but that's how people became interchangeable parts. And essentially, companies became insensitive to cultures because people really became just a hand standing in front of a machine. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you as a leader, right, step up, even if you've never before stepped up and said, look, I think culture is very important. Um, you know, I've become aware of this. I've done more reading. I've done research on it. I want to build a high-performing culture, and I'd like to make sure that we instill these values that we all share across the organization. People are going to react positively to that. So you can have an influence whether you did it or not from day one. Coming into an organization from the outside, <clears throat> you have to earn the trust and respect of the troops. And generally, if you're coming in from outside, you're trying to fix an organization that really is having performance problems. I like to follow, uh, you know, three phases, stabilize, optimize, and then transform. And in the stabilization phase, what you're really doing is you're beginning to build and establish trust for the organization. You're setting out a set of cultural values and norms that you want the organization to follow. And ultimately, people aren't going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do. You do. Humans are very sensitive to social hierarchy. This is how it works. You have to behave in an authentic way. When you say, I believe these are the you know, values and behaviors we're going to do, you have to act that out. You have to believe it. You have to embrace it. And if you do, people are going to come around and they're going to trust you. Um, and it takes a little while to build that trust, but you can do it. And I, and I do think human emotions kind of work against it. Sometimes even you know, my own in regard to, I believe all these things, but you, you get, sometimes you get frustrated and you know you you see yourself you know wanting to react in an emotional way, which is not the the best you know behavior uh, on this stuff. And you you almost have to catch yourself, even if you kind of like training. You know, so obviously we believe in these these techniques techniques, but there's the human element that's constantly at play here, and it's our own our own humanity plays into this. So would you expect the coach to go train themselves before they go and coach a team, Joe? Yeah, I, I think um, you know train, training yourselves and, and management teams and trying to create reinforcing uh, groups around this certainly is extremely helpful uh, because then you kind of there's a, a reminder as to what those those behaviors are. I think that that does help. So Frank, do you have any suggestions for those people who themselves may not be having the emotional intelligence or the strength? to be able to transform others because they themselves might be finding themselves or catching themselves uh, becoming vulnerable to situations? Um, if they become interested, if there is just a ton of books and research, I think Daniel Goleman's book, uh, EQ, is uh, incredibly valuable as a starting point. I would recommend everybody read that and understand the importance of emotional intelligence. Um, they created uh, an organization, a consortium for emotional intelligence in organizations. Uh, you can go look at that site. Um, I would recommend it's IT. Pick up my book. My book is really designed to be the first user manual for running the human infrastructure. That is the approach I took when I set out to design this book. And we have user manuals for five, you know, $500 pieces of equipment, but no one gets a user manual for the culture and the people. And I believe if they pick up transforming IT culture, read it, I think they'll get a lot out of it. So uh, a secondary source, that is someone reading books in or attending a few, um, you know, seminars, if you will, or training courses, do you think that's the secret sauce to success, Frank? Or there would be certain places where you can sandbox these techniques? Well, um, you know, this really 
all boils down, I think, into one thing. Caring about one another is highly productive. There are a lot of ways to show that you actually care about the people. One of them is removing the people who are unproductive and corrosive. That says, I really care about this organization and the health of the organization. You have to do that. But you have to reach out to people in a lot of different ways. You know, if you see their mood is down, you've got to come over and say, hey, what's bothering you? It's very interesting. They did a study at Wharton. They found out that in a call center where a manager went up and talked to that call center employee who looked a little down at the beginning of the day, their productivity was 10% higher the entire day. That's a fact. So, you know, these things matter. It's all about productivity. And really thinking about ways you can show you want to build an environment where you care about the people, which means you've got to tune into the environment. You've got to talk to people. You've got to ask questions. You've got to listen. And then you have to react to that state, right? Success is situational, and every situation is just a little bit different. It's half cookbook, kind of half looking at the ingredients you've been given and what, what is the best recipe you can create. And, and I think the other, the other thing is when you're, you're planning out your calendar, you know, thinking about the time you spend on the human aspects versus all these other ch- tasks. When we started the conversation, we were talking about all the other things we have to do. The, the human things actually are worth, you know, scheduling time for, you know, in, in how you, you're mentoring people, how you're visiting, you know, the, the teams that you have globally, those kinds of things. You know, to, to the point that Frank just made, visiting the call center person, that increases productivity. I think, you know, when I, I go to some of even our offshore um, vendors' locations in India, it, it, is, it is, first of all, it is, um, it, it, it's emotional almost in regard to how much they care about the work that they're doing and that they want to be connecting into the larger organization, and they want to figure out ways to do it, right? And they very much value your visits because of that reason. And how do you put a value on that? That's tremendous value. Uh, so you have to schedule more time for those types of activities. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and when we come back, let's explore a scenario where a person is supposed to be super successful. They are seen as someone who gets the job done. And now, as part of them being successful, they say, what's the next level of evolution for them? They see there is some issue or there are some issues with the culture, and that requires them to soften a little bit, handle people a little bit with, with a little bit more care. And they change their attitude and that word travels to the management who otherwise think this person is a superstar and say maybe this person is turning into a weakling because of this change behavior, not recognizing the evolution this person is going through. How do you set expectations for both sides of the camp? One is with your people, another is with your management. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You 
are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Joe, I'd like to target this question to you where we have to balance expectations, especially when you are seen as a rock star and a superstar and delivering results. But then you also see there is a challenge with the culture and you want to change your behavior towards the rest of them. But the word travels on the other side of the camp, too. You don't want them to start feeling that the person is changing and no longer would be delivering because of their own mindset. What do you how do you handle this? Um. I, I think you're, you're talking about how somebody evolves from um, an individual contributor into more of a manager role. Uh, actually, I'm saying that you are a leader yeah. and you are a CIO. So you, you are doing great things with IT, but you see that you're getting the job done. And from a, a taskmaster, you want to become a balance between a people and a task person. And okay, the, to get it done so, versus the um, managing people. But yeah, exactly. I, well, I, I, I actually view them as very intertwined, you know, so you can't do one, one without the other. I, I, I think that, you know, my, the, um, my business partners, you know, view me as, you know, somebody who's, who's going to work with the teams to get productivity. So I, I honestly think, you know, and I directly, you know, I 100% agree with, you know, Frank's approach on all these things in regard to this does lead to productivity. This does lead to good results. Um, it does lead to a better alignment with the business group. So I, so I don't see a disconnect in, in that, yeah, and, and I, I know what you're kind of also alluding to. It's like if you're, you're keeping people happy, maybe you're not driving uh, the same uh, business results. But I, I actually think you do drive better business results. Uh, but you have to then show that you are uh, keeping all those other things in, in focus too, right? The, the, the harder numbers things, the traditional things that, you know, organizations focus on. And when Frank talks about the, you know, from an industrial look of things, you know, it's, it's like the balance sheet things, the, the RRI types of things. You know, we do need to look at that, and we need to align um, how we did things before and how we're doing things now in regard to managing people, uh, but we need to give a higher priority to the people part of it. So I, I don't think that they're out of sync with one another. I think it's more of aligning and harmonizing those things. Would you say, Frank, that what I just shared as a hypothetical case study in or a situation, it doesn't really exist where people are otherwise doing a great job, but they're trying to transform, but the management sees that they are becoming weaker? You know, if you've got an established reputation in an organization and you've essentially been delivering and you've achieved a high level of success or productivity, I believe you've at some level embraced the people and made sure their needs are being met. Now, one of the problems we have, of course, is that you know productivity, uh, although that was the focus of the industrial era, every factory they talked about productivity, productivity, increasing yield. You know, when we came to the information economy and every IT department became an information factory, and the reality is productivity just got lost. We never talk about productivity because it's somewhat you know, more complex, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to it, and if this manager is really talking about the fact he's going to improve the productivity of the organization by caring about people, because that's not what he explicitly did, um, I think that the organization is going to respond to that positively. You know, at the end of the day, you want to create harmony, but there's an old saying, harmony without disagreement is apathy, 
So you want an environment where people could speak up. You want harmony. You've got to still deal with the people who aren't performing. And at the end of the day, when you do all of that, you're not going to be perceived as a weak person. I just don't think that would be the outcome. So, Joe, would you suggest any specific steps or action items that an IT leader should take so that they are not only just making a change because it was bad and now it's becoming good, but also maintain a sustainable, healthy culture which is promoting human values? I, I mean, I, I've tried to combine it with, you know, one is the, the cultural change. I, I actually think sometimes you can design your organization to force collaboration. So I, I think of, you know, organizational um, design comes into this. I think, you know, aligning it with, you know, with technology, we're actually building an architecture. So you build an architecture, you align your organization with that. You build processes that reinforce the behaviors. Like, as I was mentioning, you know, agile methodologies, I think, in, in um, force cross-team collaboration. You know, so I, so I think you can design things at many levels, and they're all very reinforcing. And, in fact, Agile also uh, reinforces behavior, uh, you know, communicating with your business partners. So, yeah, you know, so I, I would say architecture, organizational design, processes, and overall, you know, management attitudes and behaviors of focus. I think if you think about it at all, all those levels, they're very reinforcing with each other. Frank? Well, I would, uh, I would reinforce what Joe said in a number of areas. Number one, organizational design is very important. You want an organization, organizational design that as much as possible breaks down the walls that separate people. So cross-functional teams, um, federated organizational model with a business and IT truly share the outcome. You know, these things really do matter because it sets a tone for the organization. Governance. Governance is uh, essentially a mechanism that determines how decisions get made in the organization. Having a well-defined governance model across all areas of IT so that people understand how to get decisions made and who makes them begins to depersonalize things. And uh, people are decisions are being made not by individuals, but individuals, a group of individuals representing the best interests of the organization. So that helps towards increasing collaboration as well because those committee structures bring people together. Uh, you want to take a direct role in the design of the culture of your organization. Um, people want to worry about, you know, the have project life cycle as they should. They want to look at all of their processes, COVID and ITIL, as they should. They're all very important. They also need to take a direct hand in designing the culture because that is one of the keys to organizational effectiveness. So they should do it explicitly. And um, <clears throat> there are a lot of, you know, techniques you can use to design one. You know, at the end of the day, the more you can understand how people really do work and what are the human factors that drive productivity will also help you improve the performance of the organization. So uh, I think you've got to be explicit about it. You've got to state that's where you're heading. You've got to say culture is an outcome, and uh, you can make a huge difference. On behalf of our show and the listeners, I'd like to really thank you, Frank and Joe, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations and their leaders could promote human value in IT culture. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, really enjoyed the topic and appreciate being a guest. So uh, thank you so much again, Ms. Uh, listeners, for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. 
Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. 